Welcome back to the Arrive podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law podcast for Canadians. I'm your host, Jeremy Richards, along with uh, my business partner and co-host, Christine Jerusek. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe and uh, to our channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Tune in, subscribe so that uh, you can see upcoming podcasts and um benefit from the the upcoming content Uh, also visit us on our website where you will find answers to a lot of the questions that we address in this podcast we also have faqs on our website and blog posts that go in depth uh, on a lot of these questions that we have and we also have a youtube channel as well where you can find helpful videos about u.s immigration law so if you're looking for answers to u.s immigration law questions you can submit them to us for this podcast today, we will be answering some questions that we received recently from listeners that had some questions that they want us to address. So we, we selected a few of those and we'll be answering those questions today. Um, so check us out on, on our website and as well as YouTube too for answers to U.S. immigration law questions. So today uh, we're going to start by covering some recent immigration updates. Immigration is constantly changing and which gives us stuff to talk about, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are two pretty significant changes that are coming down the line uh, with U.S. immigration right now. One of the ones that probably give the biggest noise is USCIS announced a, a proposal for fee increases. Now, there hasn't been an f- increase for fee increases with USCIS since I think it was 2016. They were going to do a fee increase during COVID, but people said, no way, there's too much going on right now, too much uncertainty, you can't do that to people. So they delayed it. Chances are this one will go into effect. Now, how significant will these increases be? There's probably going to be some battle as far as, you know, what they're going to settle as far as the fees go, but they have released their proposals for these fees. And you're talking significant fee increases across the board. One of the more impactful ones that that would impact what we do is when you file a petition for a foreign worker, use what is called USCIS form I-129, petition for foreign worker. So right now, if you use that form, it's a flat fee, $460. It doesn't matter what visa classification you're using. So let's say you're sponsoring a Canadian on a TN, it's a $460 fee, flat fee. If you're doing an H-1B, if you're doing an O-1 visa, whatever, a P visa, an L-1 visa, $460 flat fee. With this change, they're going to start charging different fees for every different classification. For L-1 visas, that fee is going up. So for a lot of these categories, those fees that they're charging will increase significantly in some cases. Uh, if you're filing the I-129 rather than just this basic flat fee. So you're going to see fee increases if you're trying to petition a foreign worker, uh, somebody that's Canadian coming to work on a TN or an L-1 or an H-1B visa. There are going to be increases in those filings. In addition, the I-130 petition for a foreign relative, and this is the one we see all the time too, for if you're sponsoring your spouse or your parents or a child to come to the United States. The fees for those I-130s are increasing. Naturalization applications, unless you're a refugee, asylee, or a special classification, 
we'll see increases in those as well. So they're, they're, we're looking at significant increases in fees that are coming down. Um, also, another change to premium processing they're proposing. If you're familiar with premium processing, premium processing is where you, I, I say you pay a bribe, yeah. right, to the U.S. government. <laughs> you pay them an extra $2,500, and then they will expedite your case. So it'll only take 15 uh Right now, it's calendar days is the way it works. Mm -hmm. 15 calendar days for them to make a decision or request more information on your case. They're proposing to change that to 15 business days, which is a significant uh, increase in the processing time. Which for they those. proposed that before and it never went through. I it was like with it was this like last, it, it, yeah. was, it didn't go through with the last fee increase yeah. request. My guess is those are all going to go through uh, because they delayed it. It's been several years. Um, we'll see. But that, those are the proposals that they've been making. So that would give you some incentive if you have an, if you're contemplating filing for a U.S. immigration benefit and you've been putting it off. If you want to avoid any of those fee increases, you should think about doing that now. Um, because this time around, I would anticipate that a lot of these changes will go into effect. A and lot of these fees another increase. one of the important fee changes that are going that they're proposing right now is adding fees for um, people who are adjusting status in the oh, United yeah, States. That's a good one. So, for example, if you're in the U.S. and you're changing your status from you know visitor or whatever you're in TN visa holder to green card holder, and you file that form to adjust your status right now, you can also file to ask for work authorization and travel authorization free of charge. They don't charge you anything extra for the adjudicating those two forms. Um, but this change is going to have separate charges for each of those applications. So, you you know, people who are looking at adjusting status may consider, hey, do I really need work authorization? Do I really need travel authorization? Is it worth it to pay this fee for this extra form to be adjudicated? But that's going to be a new change. So that's going to raise significantly, significantly the price of that yeah. process. They were all free, and people used you'd file for your kid without an afterthought, right? Because your child, you could file for work and travel authorization whether they needed it or not, because it was convenient and it was free. Yeah, so it you was could part just of do the it. process. And yeah, yeah. But now you're going to have to consider whether or not you want to go to that expense. And not only that, it's a premium you're paying, so it's going to increase uh, significantly. The forms aren't changing, at least yet. They like to change forms forms all the mm -hmm. time, but. Uh, so well, I think they just changed them all recently anyway. So <laughs> they change them all the time, uh, but they are in, so they're not waiving those fees anymore. And that's a good point. That's it. So it's not, it's, it's another way to increase uh, revenues for USCIS. Right. And the other one we should talk about is the H1B registration fee. Cause that season's coming up soon. Um, and previously the registration fee was only $10. So it was easy to get, you know, get some skin in the game, you know, file for the lottery, 10 bucks fee. It was, you know, pretty innocuous. Now it's going to be over $200 to file for the lottery um, per registration. So, uh, you know, people may think twice about doing an H-1B or entering and, you know, with multiple employers, if that's the situation. Yeah. So a significant increase in that fee. Still a lot cheaper than it used to be to file mm -hmm. for an H-1B, but sure. yeah, significant increase in the, in the uh, lottery registration fee. Um, and the other big change that um, USCIS is continuing to do, and this is something they've already announced and they've been slowly um, ramping it up, is the expansion of the premium processing 
option where you can expedite a case. Uh, and the two big additions uh, that came out were actually good. They go into effect this month, the end of this month, are the expansion to uh, EV1, EV2 uh, professions. And the biggest one that we deal with that people want to expedite is somebody who is an L1A executive or manager and wants to expedite the processing of their uh, the I-140 petition to get their green card. That is now available. So if you had a pending case or you're filing a new case, uh, starting at the end of this month, you will be able to premium process those cases. So that's a huge uh Huge benefit for those that want to get a faster decision and move to green card faster uh, on those L1s especially. And we're getting closer and closer to the point where they're going to start offering that same premium processing option to people that are changing their status in the United States. So I think premium processing is a great benefit for people. You're paying a huge premium. It's $2,500 right now. And those fees are going to change too, depending on what type of case you're going to be premium processing. They're going to have different premium processing fees. But if people are willing to pay that to get a faster decision, why not? USCS is just making more money uh, by doing that. Um, so they are expanding that, which I think is well, a I great think, service. I think they'd argue they're just covering their costs. <laughs> yeah, right. So to, to handle that uh, EAD request... Yeah. Right. <laughs> the the two page EAD form <laughs> that is so easy to adjudicate that they could do in what five minutes. Well, now they're going right? to charge. They're, I think and they're they going to charge you a few hundred dollars for that now. Yeah, and and they take months to do it when you could you could literally have somebody sitting in a room to just stamp and approve those things. So yeah, quick. I'm, there's no reason why those take so long. Anyway. That's a side note. But there, so the USCS is going to expand their ability to take bribes. <laughs> so you'll be able to bribe them more frequently across the board with the expansion of this premium processing option. All right. So to some of the questions that we have at hand, and, and one of the big ones we're going to address today, and this is one we get asked all the time, and I think the most confusion lies around this question. So it was a great question that somebody submitted, and that is, going from a TN to a green card in your country of birth and how that impacts the process. We're going to save that to the last uh, because it's the longest answer. But that's one of the questions we'll be addressing today, and I think it'll be the main thing that we discuss. But before we get to that, uh, there are a few other great questions that were submitted. Now, let me get to these questions. So this person asks... Please provide a detailed explanation. Uh, our, hello, my, my TN visa is expiring on the 15th, and I'm planning to leave the United States on the 22nd. I will get a new TN visa when I come back in early January. Is the grace period in writing? I can't find it anywhere on the U.S. website. It seems a bit, uh, and I'm anxious about uh, the week that I'm staying without status in the United States. So this person's concerned about a one-week overstay of their status in the United States before they leave the country and come back in and apply for a TN. They're asking for clarification on what is the grace period. What grace period do I have on a TN visa if it's expiring? So there are a couple different grace periods. This one's very specific though. Uh, they're saying that their TN visa is expiring on the 15th. They don't, I don't know what month they're referring to here. I'm assuming it was, I'll say it was December. 
and then we're going to leave the United States on the 22nd and then come back in early January. So what is the grace period if your TN visa expires here on the 15th and leaving on the 22nd? That's well, a seven-day gap you right get there, a, right? You get a 10-day grace period at the expiry of your TN status. And the people off, so there's a 60 day grace period that everybody thinks they get. Right. <laughs> everybody but thinks they're don't. entitled to the 60 days, but no. In this case, if your TN visa is expiring, you only get 10 days. It's only a 10 day grace period to depart the United States. Uh, and this person was leaving on the 22nd. So definitely within that 10 day grace period, yeah. nothing to worry about. Uh, so does, is not covered by the 60-day grace period. And we've discussed that before. The 60-day grace period only applies if your TN visa remains valid uh, and if you lose your job early. So if you have three years remaining on your TN and at year two you lose your job, well, you have 60 days to either find a new job, change employers, change status, or leave the country. But that's only if your TN remains valid. Otherwise, 10 days. At that point, you need to pack up and get out. And we've explained the reasoning behind that, right? You've been on a TN for three years in most cases. You should be planning for that eventual departure from right. the United it's not, States. It's not a surprise that this is happening. We're adults here. Plan ahead. <laughs> you know, you either have to extend that visa or get out of the country. Um, so overstaying is not an issue in that case. It's definitely within 10 days. Now, it, this does raise the other question. When does overstaying become an issue? Let's say TNV six expired on the 15th. At what point is this person really going to get some consequences attached to overstay? There's two yeah, time not, periods. Yeah, not for another six months. So six months is when the first consequence attaches. Mm -hmm. So let's say you don't buy by that 10-day grace period. Well, if you overstay your, your visa by six months or more in the United States, you're going to get a three-year bar from entry to the United States upon exit. So you're not going to be able to come back for at least three years unless you get a waiver uh, to come back to the United States if you overstay by six months or more. And then another bigger one attaches once you overstay by 12 months or more. At that point, you're going to, going to get a 10-year bar from entry to the United States. Mm -hmm. And either of those cases would require either you staying out through your 10 years or getting a waiver before returning. Next question. And this is a pretty good one, too. So, and we get requests like this all the time, actually, Christine. We had a fax come in today from USCIS, and I said, and I uh, did say fax. I wasn't joking. <laughs> no, they still use they the good old fax machine. <laughs> and it's funny because it's right in between With a, a pair nice of legals. cover page. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> they usually send it two or three times over, so it seems like it's a lot longer than it is. Yeah, it's great. I love walking over and picking that up. I feel like I'm going through a time machine back to the 90s or the 80s and getting my fax delivered to me. It's funny, though, because we hear that, <laughs> and then we all stare at the fax machine. Uh-oh, what's coming? Because you know it's a request for evidence from USCIS. Yeah, and the only reason we hear that is because we have a printer that's hooked up as if, as if it were a fax machine, so it comes right through our printer. Yeah. If we don't, if we don't have one of those old faxes <laughs> no, with the phone on it. And the, no, it's a, it's a legitimate uh, copy machine that also takes faxes. 
so we got one of those faxes and it actually deals with the same question here that was submitted. So this, this individual is concerned about working in the United States uh, and couldn't find the information that, that they were looking for to answer this question. And saying that I've worked, I'm working in Texas with the TN visa. My employer has started with some struggle in the business and his finances are down. Currently, I'm just making 2000 a month. I have a family and need to support them. And this is not enough to pay bills. Uh, the question goes on, though, and says, I was wondering if I can get a part time job. And here, this individual is saying a part time job as in supplemental income, uh, not a part time TN job, because we all know you can get another TN visa for another employer that qualifies for a TN for profession. Here, they're asking, I was thinking to work as a delivery driver, an Uber driver or something else with a flexible schedule on the side. Can this be done? So there's actually a couple questions. There's a couple things to address in this question. The individual might, might not have actually thought of some of the things that, that come to mind when I read this question. The first one is you're just making $2,000 per month. Well, that could be a concern. What is the profession that you were approved on for your TN visa? What is the wage that was in that support letter when you got your TN visa? And if your employer is struggling, can they even provide you professional level work to do that fits within that profession? All concerns on that TN visa. If they're not paying you the wage that they said they were going to pay on that support letter, if you're not actually doing the work that they said they were going to give you on, on that support lever, letter, then your TN's in jeopardy. You're not maintaining your status. And that could be an issue uh, with maintenance of status. So beyond the question of can you have a part-time job, there's the other question of are you maintaining your status at all? Uh, I doubt the wage was 2000 a month, 24000 a year. Um, not mo most TM professions make a lot more than $24,000 a year. Yeah. So I think it's safe to assume that this individual is being paid much less than they should be paid. Uh, no matter what this profession is. Um, and if that's the case. It's most likely that he's probably on some kind of, you know, reduced hours. So maybe he is still making the same wage, so are, but he's got was a reduced it a full, hours. Yeah, but so. did your employer say, hey, we need him full-time, and now you're working part-time? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then you have that hour issue. Is this full-time? Is this part-time? Are you making the wage? And then the other one that I said is, are they giving you that professional level work to perform? If you're being sponsors an engineer and they don't have enough work for you and you're sweeping floors you can't do that they may be generous and say hey we don't have anything for you to do so go clean the windows or take out the garbage or whatever it is answer phones but it has nothing to do with being in let's say an engineer where you're not maintaining your status so there's a lot of potential issues in that question and that wasn't even the real question. Yeah, <laughs> Those they are just, just the, they that's just, just want to know if they can have a side hustle. <laughs> yeah, that's just some color they gave. But to me, in that color, I got there's a lot of issues that present themselves. Right. So to the to the real question, can you work on a side hustle on a TN visa? Um, not without another TN for that employer. And typically, what he's suggesting he's going to do on the side hustle isn't going to be something that's TN eligible. Yeah, this is 1099 work, right? Yeah. Or self-employment, which is a big taboo for 
for a TN visa. You cannot be self-employed on a TN visa. Uh, from my understanding, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, uh, what are these food delivery drivers? I don't use it. Your kids Door always dash. DoorDash. <laughs> our kids, our kids order with these things all the time. Uh, uh, DoorDash, and then the one Instacart. Uber all of eats, these Uber yeah. Eats. These are all 1099 positions. You're not an actual W-2 employee of those organizations. You're responsible for your taxes and your transportation and all of that. That's all on you. Those are independent contractor positions or self-employed. You cannot be self-employed on a TN visa. You absolutely can't do side hustle jobs like this without authorization, like you said. And Uber, Uber's not going to sponsor, and they don't sponsor their delivery drivers for TNs. First of all, they're it's not they're on not the gonna, list. It's it, not on the list of professional occupations. Delivery drivers do not uh, rise to the level of uh, professional occupation under the USMCA. So, no, you cannot do that. Absolutely cannot, uh, for various reasons. Uh, so, unless you have authorization. And I think that's the easy way to determine whether or not you can do something while you're in the U.S. on your TN is, uh, does your TN cover it? When you applied, did it cover what you're asking about? If it didn't, then right. you if need to get a new TN to cover that. If it's work for a different employer, if it's work for a different organization, you probably need a new TN for that. Different profession. Mm -hmm. Any of that applies. If it goes outside of what you were supported for, you should speak to an attorney and, and before you you do anything um, to make sure that what you're doing is okay. Um, there are some things you can do, like you could go to school, I mean, night school, right? Oh no yeah, issue you go with to that. school. And what's the risk for people? Say they say, well, I don't, you know, I, I know the rule says I can't do this, but I, my family's got to eat, so you know, I, I'm willing to take that risk. What are they risking? Well, they're risking their status and ability to stay in the U.S. and Future status is maybe on a green card, future ability to return to the United States. There's a lot of risk if you get caught and if you have that attitude, right? If you get caught. Right. Well, you could get caught. If you don't get caught, well, nothing's going to happen. But if you like to play that game. But you're, you're jeopardizing. I mean, it's considered unauthorized employment in illegal. the United States. So if you're applying for a green card, you need to disclose this. Did you give somebody your social security number when you got this job? Is there a record of this somewhere that could come back to bite you? Um, the best thing to do is just stick with the within the parameters of the TN. And if it doesn't sound like it, it is, get some advice from a lawyer before you start doing anything like that. And you and you just hit it on the head. Um, so you you reminded me of a case I had uh, in the past, and it, it the exact same issue was raised when you're providing your social security number, you're providing your driver's license, your image, whatever it might be to these agencies, they're on record. It's permanent. Uh, I had a case where an individual was getting a green card through marriage and they had requested work authorization and then they took that work authorization after it had been approved to go to the local DMV. I was actually here in, in Western New York, in Buffalo. And New York State uh, Department of Motor Vehicles came back and said, hey, wait a second. Your image looks familiar. We had somebody else with that same image pop up in our system, but under a different name. Please explain. <sighs> so they must I, be using I, I, some kind of like image recognition algorithm down there at the DMV. They, they had to have because then they questioned him on it. And it turns out he was using a fake name. 
and he had oh, wow. he had got a driver's license under uh-huh. a different name. Wow. Now go explain that. So he committed fraud in obtaining another driver's license under another name, and now that jeopardized his ability to get a green card. So, yeah, be careful what you're doing uh, because when you are producing documentation to do these things especially, it's on record. It, it can come up. It'll catch you. So the best way uh, is to make sure you do it above board. Um, then the last question before we get to the discussion about uh, the green card, TND green card, and this is one we get a lot, um, is I am a registered cardiac sonographer holding all the credentials and everything in the U.S. and Canada is looking to come to work in the United States in a hospital. Uh, and they, it's saying that the hospital is all getting stuck on the selection with the sponsorship issue. Can you help me out? So I think question at hand, does a sonographer qualify for TN status? It is a pretty easy thing to do if you look down the professions list, and this was why the, the hospitals are getting stuck on it. It's not on the professions list. It doesn't fit. Um, and this applies to x-ray techs. We actually have a, an article on our site. Uh, if you were to go on there and type in sonographer, it'll pull it up. And it'll, it, it, there are a lot of professions that actually fall under this, uh, but they don't qualify for TN status. So it's one you can't get TN status for. Mm-hmm. Alternatives might be an H-1B visa, but if you look up sonographer and the training required, it's not a bachelor's level education. Same so with it doesn't the x-ray technician, that. yeah. Same with the x-ray technician. And I know we know there's a shortage here in the United States of these professions. We know there is, and all the hospitals know it, and that's why there's so many jobs available for it. And it looks like a very attractive way to come to the U.S. if you're one of these qualified individuals, and we could use you here. But the U.S. government hasn't made it a priority to make our immigration system flexible so that we can accept jobs and, you know, visas for people in professions that are in need right now here in the U.S. So we're stuck with our old, antiquated, unmovable system, um, and there's just no, um, you know, visa available for it, unfortunately. So it's a tough situation. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we had a system that uh, that did reflect need that would yeah. be amazing yeah something flexible where we i mean we recognize department of labor issues these numbers all the time yeah these stats are out there i don't know why they can't make the immigration system flexible and we like, need hey, two hundred thousand sonographers this year yeah, please apply we need, we need engineers or we need you know computer scientists we're offering this many visas this year to these and yeah it doesn't work that way that would be amazing uh but that would but when Too we much sense. when we run the world, then we can we can plan <laughs> it out that way. But <laughs> when we it would have solve everybody's problem, right? If they could just make the system a little more flexible. We and we, we have this private conversation all the time, don't we? About how we wish we could be the political advisor because who's advising <laughs> these political candidates on immigration? Because they don't know what the heck they're talking about. No. So they just make it more and more complicated. It doesn't make it easier at all, and makes no sense. That's for sure. So the, to the big question of the day and the one that uh, I think out of all subjects that we deal with, this is probably the most misunderstood. Do you think, TN to green card? Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there is the problem. So I think a lot of people, and when we have these phone calls, when I talk to people, they've, they've done a lot of Googling on this issue, um, a lot of research and tried to figure out their situation. Um, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. So, you know, 
I think that's why it's it's a constant topic of question and inquiry here in our office. And we go back to the Canada as a very small country. Population-wise. Population-wise. Compared to yeah. like India Not or China. Wise. Yeah, no. <laughs> which is great, <laughs> which like, makes Canada a great place to visit because there's nobody there. But yes, population-wise, they're the size of like New York City, right? So... Not very many people live in Canada, so you're not dealing with a lot of individuals when you're when you're talking about TN to green card, and you also have to loop in Mexico too. But even when you loop in Mexico, it's still not a lot of people. Uh, I would venture to say that the compared to H1Bs from India and China, China. yes, that gets dwarfed. Mm-hmm. So, and and that's actually where the issues arise. And this question hits on that. Uh, the question is. Uh, can I go from a TN visa to a green card? And if I can, what is the impact of my country of birth? Um, and, then, and then now we're even taking it down to a smaller population, which is Indian. nationals that were born in countries other than Canada that are now Canadian citizens or Mexican citizens that are seeking TN status in the United States. So that's an even smaller population. Very small. But... They all call us, <laughs> right? Because we, we handle these types of cases all the, the time. The Canadians, yeah. <laughs> right? The Canadian Indians that have immigrated to Canada um, and are now Canadian. So they have dual yeah. status. They're Canadians and Indian nationals, both. So they have the benefits of being both, but also there's a disadvantage. Uh, and Indian nationals understand that. They understand that if you were born in India, you are subject to what's called uh, the visa bulletin. Yeah, and the visa backlog in the and visa, the visa bulletin, backlog, right? Where Canadians often are not impacted by that because there are so much fewer Canadians, the backlog doesn't exist. Uh, but when you add Canadian national Indians into the mix um, that have Canadian citizenship, well, you a dilemma arises and the dilemma is they are Canadian now, right? So they qualify for TN status so they can come to the U S on a TN and then they come to us on TN. And then the next, uh, the next logical step there is now I want to become yeah, my, a permanent my, resident. Yeah. My employer wants to sponsor me for a green card. What are my, what are my chances? How do I do that? And the answer, and I'll just give you the simple answer, um, and then we'll get to the issue. The simple answer for the whole world, hopefully everybody out there is listening across the United States, Canada, Mexico, wherever TN visa applies. Yes, you can go from a TN visa to a green card. It is the same exact process to go from a TN visa to a green card as it is to go from an H-1B visa to a green card. Same exact process. Now... There are some complications depending on where you're born. But if it's managed properly, if you time it correctly, you can go from a TN visa to a green card no matter where you were born. It may take you longer, but you can do it. It might take a Canadian two years to go through the process mm-hmm. where it might take a Indian citizen, uh, Indian born, again, here we're talking birth, how long is Indian? I see you have it pulled up there. Indian born. It's um, so for EB two, it would be um, looking at 2011. So if things are progressing along, it's looking like 12 years. So yeah, 12 years. So what does that mean? 
Well, what that means is the first thing you do when you're doing a green card is your employer is going to do what's called the test of the labor market. And they're going to go out and advertise the position, run some ads, make sure that there's no minimally qualified, willing, and able U.S. workers out there for the job. And they're going to submit a recruitment report with the Department of Labor. And they're going to tell the U.S. Department of Labor, hey, we did this. Nobody's out there. We want to offer the job to uh, Joe Citizen uh, who was born in India. And then they're going to submit that with the Department of Labor. It's going to get certified. And then you file what's called I-140 petition with uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services to certify that recruitment with USCIS to make they're going to give their stamp of approval on the Department of Labor's stamp of approval. Once that's done, you'll get an approved I-140 petition. And a priority date will be attached. A and priority everything, date. everything up that we've talked about that Jeremy just discussed up until this point is exactly the same process no matter where you're born in the world. Yes. So there's no implications regardless of your country of birth or country of residence for that process. Good point. But now there's change. Now there's an issue. So once that I-140 is approved, this is when you could have a potential delay. Delay, exactly. Yeah, a delay. A delay in when you can actually request the green card through these approvals. So at this point, Department of Labor's approved it. USCIS approved it. Now you as an individual take charge and you you will file to either adjust your status in the United States from a TN visa to a green card or you will request to process through the consulate to get your green card. That's where the delay happens if you are Chinese national or an Indian national. You will face a potential delay. And here the current delay is 10 plus years of a wait time. Now, that can cause a complication um, if you don't handle it correctly. Uh, you will need to continue to maintain your status while you're in the United States working. <clears throat> so that means continuing to extend your TN. And that question, and that leads to another question. Can you extend your TN visa if, if you have an I, approved I-140? And they've addressed this question, both with CBP and USCIS, mm-hmm. and the answer is yes, you can. You can't, however, continue to extend your TN unless you have established immigrant intent. An approved I-140 in and of itself does not, and I'll say that again, does not establish immigrant intent. Immigrant intent is not established until you do one of two things. One is file what is called adjustment of status with USCIS. Once you do that, you're killing your options of getting a TN in the future because you're telling the US government I want a green card. You've established your intent to immigrate. So you need to make sure before you file a 485 that your status is taken care of, that your status is going to carry you to the point where you can either get work authorization or your green card, and that you don't have to renew that TN again. So we always we advise our clients to have their TN extended as far out as possible before we even get to that stage to make sure that they have status that's going to underlie and carry them. Or the second way you establish your intent is you submit your documents with NVC and request an immigrant visa through NVC. Clearly, you're requesting an immigrant visa to immigrate to the United States. Um, both of those could kill your opportunity on it to, to extend your TN. Um, however, uh, there are still 
limited circumstances where we've seen people even in those stages still get extensions as long as you can explain it properly at the border they will still admit you i've had people with you know one of the keys is maintaining your ties to canada or mexico as well so um maintaining your ties to your home country to show that your intention is to return there that can be sometimes you know evidence to show the officer that you're not planning on moving there while you have this TN. You're coming back. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see the process through properly and then come back with your immigrant visa. Right, right, that works, and I've, we've seen that many times where you have a client who has an approved I-140 or mm-hmm. even an I-130 through a spouse, and they're working on a TN, but they do it through consular processing. Mm-hmm. Most officers are let you continue to work on that TN as long as you're. They don't think you're gonna come in and adjust. If they see that you're going to go through the process properly and get an immigrant visa before you come to the U.S., we've seen people with approved I-130s and I-140s continue to get TN status. Yeah. So that's all at the discretion of the officer at the port of entry to do that. Um, but if done properly, you can go from a TN to a green card. It can it can be a long process depending on where you were born, um, but it is possible. And the beauty of a TN visa is it can be extended indefinitely. So as long as you continue to abide by the rules and you do this properly, you can extend your TN visa for 12 years while you wait for that visa bulletin to become current. Um, now, now will your employer sit around for 12 years for you? Well, or will you have that job in 12 question. years? That's a different yeah. story. Um, and that, I think, is the bigger issue with, with Indian nationals is not necessarily the well, I guess it's both. It's both the wait time and employment, right? They have to wait that long. Well, how many employers are going to wait that out, right? It's, how, that's many, a long how many time. people want to keep working for the same employer for 10, 12, 15 years? You know, that's, that's a really lot really like that too, job. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. It, so, it is a complication if you are an Indian-born national. It doesn't eliminate you from the process, but it does. it does cause... Uh, added stress because of the time frame it does take to process these cases. So it is a very good question. Um, so thank you everybody for the questions that you submitted. We love them. Keep them coming. If you have any future questions that you want us uh, to answer on our podcast, shoot them our way. Uh, we love just to do this podcast based on your questions, um, along with whatever relevant immigration updates we have coming your way. Um, we appreciate all of you that uh, are listening and, and the feedback that you're giving. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe where you listen to your favorite podcast and check us out on, on YouTube uh, and visit our website where we have those FAQs available for you. And you can subscribe on our website uh, to our mailing list. And every week you will get updates uh, with our blogs and answers to relevant immigration questions as well as updates uh, for U.S. immigration. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Uh, And we could have told you ahead of time that you would have been refused trying to return, you know, that soon uh, after being refused. Since then, I started a job in Canada uh, and now wants to go back and visit the girlfriend in the United States with some more concrete plans. Common question. And this is a common scenario, too where somebody tries to enter the United States to go visit. This is someone who does not listen to our podcast. <laughs> well, um, or the border officer who told them 
straightforward, <laughs> come back with these items, right? Yeah. And typically, if you're being refused, you're not going back the same day and maybe not the next day either. Time cures. Time cures most immigration issues, especially if it's an intent issue. Right. Uh, the magic number, and this is not what most people are going to hear, is 12 months. Mm-hmm. If you were told not to come back for a while, well, the officer means don't come back for a while. Uh, right. Especially if you spent a long time in the U.S., six months or even more in the U.S., they're going to say, we don't want to see you for at least a year. At that point, they're satisfied that you do live in Canada, you're working there, you have ties. Right. If you come back any sooner, you're probably going to get refused. Unless you do have a legitimate reason to come, you can prove that it's temporary. And then the list that this individual is referring to is what we would refer to as a non-immigrant intent list that the border officer hands you. Mm-hmm. Well, that list, if you read through the list, it says six months of bank statements, six months of pay statements, six months of utility bills. If you don't have that with you, showing that for the last six months that you have these concrete ties to Canada, that you have a job, that you're going to school, that you have a home, that you have health insurance, all of those things that tie you to Canada they're not going to entertain your readmission to the U.S. Even if you have all of that and you just spent several weeks or months in the United States and you're coming back and trying to be readmitted for another long trip, they're going to tell you 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 need to turn around. Mm -hmm. You don't live in the United States. Even though you have this ease of access to the United States as a Canadian, you do not have the right to just come and stay as long as you want whenever you want. You still need to maintain your ties to Canada, and you're still a visitor. Absolutely. I agree with every with all of that. And we get lots of people who call and are shocked uh, that they were refused entry to the United States. And they say things like, I'm Canadian. I have a right to enter. I can be there for six months. I don't know what the problem is. Um, but you don't have a right to enter, and you don't have to be admitted for six months you are a foreign national trying to enter a sovereign nation and you cannot just show up and expect to come in every single time because you want to. Um, you got to have the evidence to convince and properly show the officer that you don't intend to stay. So if you're coming for a two to three month visit and you're a snowbird and you, you've done the same visit for the past you know, 15 years and you show up with your, your RV on the back of your car and you say, yep, here I am again coming. They can see from your travel history that, yep, you come for two to three months every year and you go back home to Canada and and they can see that. But if you're a a young person who says I'm engaged to a U.S. citizen or I'm married to a U.S. citizen and you show up with all of your things um, and I'm coming with an indefinite period of stay or I'm staying for a few months, but it might be longer, you know, might extend it. don't have a job it. or anything I to go back to. Where are you to? working, not working right now? Yeah. I took a, I took a sabbatical because I want to go hang out in the U.S. for a while. Oh, I sold my condo. Yeah, this is, yeah. and you got your cat in the back seat. That's not animals, looking good. Yes, animals <laughs> are a huge trigger for some reason. They're like, wait, you're bringing your animal? Must be permanent. Yeah, so, you know, th- these are things that uh, will get you stopped at the border and turned right back around into Canada and will you know that that travel plan is out the window for at least the next I would say three to six months before you should longer. try again. Yeah, if not longer, depending on the situation. Yeah, so be careful. Don't take it for granted that uh, you're Canadian. You just come to the U.S. whenever you want because you can, as long as you do it right. Mm-hmm. Right, we can go to Canada whenever we want to, as as long as we abide by the rules. Doesn't mean we can just go and work and stay in Canada without proper authorization, though. Uh, so make sure your activities that you're doing 
are acceptable. Also, the time frame you're spending here is acceptable. What you're bringing, right? If you're bringing tools of the, of the trade with you, they're not going to believe you're visiting. If you got a big old toolbox and <laughs> you're uh-huh. coming down to what, what's the toolbox for? Uh, yeah, I'm going to work on my property. I mean, or, I think we've heard all of the different trade. We, you know, laptops, video equipment. Um, Photography equipment. Your work truck. <laughs> Your work truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not going to fly, yeah. right? If you're bringing baggage with you of any nature, it's going to be looked at, and they're going to use that to determine whether or not uh, it signals you might be doing something other than what you say you're doing, or that your stay is going to be protracted, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have the right authorization to do what it is that you want to do, so... Be careful before you come to the United States. Make sure you're authorized to do what it is that that you say you're doing. Uh, Thank you for all the questions that you've submitted. We love them. Um, We'd love to continue addressing questions on on future podcasts. So if you do have a question we haven't answered or you just have one that's specific to your scenario and you want us to cover it on the podcast, we'd love to hear it and we'd love to talk about it. So go ahead and email those over. Uh, Get them to us. Uh, and we'd love to address them on the podcast. And you can email those questions directly through our website. So if you just go to uh, Richards and Jerusalem website, you'll see where you can submit questions to the podcast. We'd love to we'll love to hear those questions. Thank you for tuning in today. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your your favorite podcasts. And we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great day.